engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. It's 5.09. I'm Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK. Uh-oh. On CNBC, they're drawing the finger paintings on the charts to show they're ready for a market crash of some kind. Oh, boy. Uh, it's one of those, I, I, I think we're probably due for something in the market. Nonetheless, that's not where we're going to start today. We're going to start, I don't know, maybe I should call it a meta commentary. I, I, I have no idea. It, it is the media's coverage of the president in Phoenix was absurd. It was, and you know how I can tell you it was absurd is the media's reaction, for example... Uh, Gerard Baker is the editor-in-chief of the Wall Street Journal, and he admonished reporters at the Wall Street Journal that they needed to report the facts of the president in Phoenix, and they needed to keep out their, their exegesis and their opinion writing from the reporting. And what he meant by the exegesis was that the reporters were taking the president's comments and telling people in the original write-up what the president actually meant, as opposed to just taking the president's words at face value, what the president actually meant. It was really more eisegesis than exegesis, if you know the difference. The exegesis is what the text tells you, and the eisegesis is what you put into the text, your own biases into the text. And that's what the reporters were doing. And they're having a meltdown today. Some reporter at the Wall Street Journal leaked Gerard Baker's email to the New York Times. And of course, in the New York Times write-up, let me read you the last paragraph. The Wall Street Journal is owned by the media magnate Rupert Murdoch, who speaks regularly with Mr. Trump and recently dined with the president at the White House. Oh, you see, I mean, the the clear implication here is that uh, Gerard Baker is forcing his reporters to not actually be hard on the president. Now, if you read his actual memo and you read the changes made to the story, uh, that's nonsense. He just wants the facts reported. But the New York Times is alleging editorial bias by an editor who wanted his reporters to not make editorial bias in a story. You know Baker was over target by the fact that his reporters are whining anonymously to the New York Times that he's demanding they be fair to the president. And this ultimately is is the key takeaway here. With the media's coverage of the president in Phoenix last night, it was a campaign rally. It was a campaign rally for 2020. It was also a campaign rally, in a sense, to hurt Jeff Flake. And the media's coverage of it was hysterical. The media's coverage of it was more off the charts than the president's own remarks. And I, I think we should all note, for the record, that the media has not changed the way they cover the president's campaign rallies. And they covered these rallies in such a way last year as if to try to hurt the president and in and cause the president harm politically. And it did not hurt the president. It did not harm the president last year. He got elected president. 
And there are a lot of people who have not gone through the self-assessment after the election. I mean, I said after the election that for those of us who did not think the president could win, he was he deserved, got the benefit of the doubt. He needed to have the benefit of the doubt, and we needed to reassess why we got things wrong. And some out there, I think, have. The, the New York Times is not one of them. The left in this country is not one of them. They, they cannot figure out why they've gotten things wrong. I just listen. When you've got reporters, compare uh, Gerard uh, Butler. Um, <laughs> that's I've been say I've been trying to avoid this all day. And I just did. That's the actor. At least I didn't do Depardieu. Um, yes, that's the actor with the nose. Uh, no, this is Gerard Baker. Gerard Baker is not an actor. He is the editor of the Wall Street Journal. And uh, Gerard Baker, the the fact that reporters leaked his email to the New York Times is very telling. I mean, compare his concerns to the Washington Posts. I mean, this is the, the, the Baker said he wanted them to cover just the facts. Here is the New York Times coverage. Or I'm sorry, the, the Washington Post. The, the, the headline is, as Trump ranted and rambled in Phoenix, his crowd slowly thinned. His rage seemed to cloud his senses. This, these, these, are, these are Washington Post reporters engaging in the, the eisegesis, where they're putting in what they wanted to say. I mean, that's the thing with, with, with liberal Christianity today is uh, it, they have to rearrange things. You know, the Bible is pretty explicit on certain sins, lifestyle sins. And it, nowadays, you, you got liberal Christianity saying, oh, don't pay attention to that. It was really talking about one particular behavioral aspect of Greeks in the first century that doesn't apply today. Whatever. Baloney. That's what reporters are doing here. If Barack Obama went out and gave a rally where he said, oh, I don't know, take a gun to a knife fight or uh, Republicans are your enemies or uh, get in your neighbor's face and fight, uh, yeah, all things he actually said, the reporters would not have reported it as a rant or unhinged or angry. They wouldn't have done that, even though it would have worked, even though it would have fit. They only do it to President Trump. And look, I got issues with the guy. You all know I do. But I got bigger issues with the way the media covers the stuff. Because the media doesn't seem to understand the president is not the cause of media hatred in America. He's not. Uh, if anything, the, the, the president is the effect of media hatred in the country. The public deeply hates the media in the United States because the media is extremely biased and unwilling to admit that bias. And being unwilling to admit that bias, uh, routinely being biased, routinely failing to give accurate stories and paint accurate pictures, uh, has caused people to gravitate towards a guy like Trump who will go out and savage the media and call them out on their behavior. And, of course, the media thinks this is an affront to the First Amendment, as if he doesn't have a First Amendment right to say what he's saying. You know, you do have reporters in this country, they occasionally surface on social media, who believe that the First Amendment freedom of the press belongs exclusively to them. 
had a reporter for, oh, what was the major public? I can't re- cannot remember now, but uh, last year, was it Mother Jones? Maybe I can't remember. Um, a, a major reporter for a major right, left of center publication actually said the difference between him and someone who was harassing him on Twitter was that unlike that person, he had the freedom of press of the First Amendment and he, he could do his job unfettered or some such. I mean, it was just typically arrogant and an acknowledgement that he believed the First Amendment was only for him. The freedom of the press was only for him. The press behaves that way and they completely ignore the issue of the president is president, but he also has a right to free speech and the president is not actually voicing necessarily his own concerns about the media he is a reflection of his base in this regard they hate the media so the president hates the media hello there eric erickson here um hang on one second i gotta delete something um had to delete. Sorry, folks. I made a. I actually got something wrong on the internet. Can you believe it? <laughs> I wasn't paying attention to a date, and it messed up everything. Nonetheless, I'll tell you what that tweet was about because it's relevant to a story about the president here in a minute. Now, I want to go to the phones. Michael in Loganville, you're up first tonight. Welcome. How's it going, Eric? Good. How are you? I'm great, sir. Uh, I want to make a comment in regards to the, the obvious media bias that we have. And um, what that is, is, last night I was watching the uh, president's rally in Phoenix, and I flipped back and forth between Fox and MSNBC. MSNBC had a split screen between their host and panel and, of course, the uh, president's uh, rally. But there was no sound from the president's rally. However, the panel was dissecting the uh, president's speeches during a rally. I just thought that was weird. Well, I mean, that's what they're trying to do here. You know, they, they, they can't have an MSNBC audience exposed to the president's actual words because that may trigger them. MSNBC is their safe space. So you have to have liberals commenting on the president without actually being able to hear the president, uh, which is a very Orwellian thing to do. But then this is MSNBC we're talking about. Um, right. I think we're going to start getting that more and more. I mean, we're getting it in the Washington Post today where they're telling us what they heard the president say not what the president actually said there are actually more editorialized statements in this washington post report of what the president said than there actually are quotes from the president uh and we're just going to see more and more of this michael thanks very much for the phone call 404-872-0750 1-800-WSB talk them's the numbers you can call in tonight i guess i'll let you on maybe if you're a competent caller and make it past my awesome call screener, who's better than my old call screener, I'll have you know, <laughs> who's sitting in there glaring at me now. Nonetheless, we shall move on. The president is only at 50% in primary polling. Um, Fabrizio McLaughlin, they sent out polling and said, asked people uh, if they think the, who would they vote for in a Republican primary for president now? Only 40-some-odd percent of Republicans say definitely the president. 50% say definitely and probably the president. 
So 50% of Republicans today say that if a primary were held for president today, they would vote for the president. 20-some-odd percent are undecided. This isn't good for the president, and the reason I know this is because President Obama uh, polled upwards of 65% of Democrats in 2010. Not a good sign for the president right now. There is some weakness there, and it is mostly because of congressional Republicans. Here is a number I want to give to you. Four. Actually, let's give you five. The number five, I'll tell you what I'm talking about when we come back. Somebody's wrong on the internet now, and it's not me. And I'm having to shame them. So, uh, Paula White, y'all... Yeah, I I just... uh, Oh, my goodness, goodness. Were people sinning by taking out Hitler? I, I, I just... This is a woman who... She's a heretic. She's a prosperity gospel heretic. Like Joel Austin, and don't you people call in and try to defend Joel Austin? He is a prosperity gospel heretic. Uh, you do not need to defend heretics. Uh, you, sh- if you don't think he is, you need to figure out why he is and stop listening to him. He's a heretic. So is she. God is not going. To, God does not want you to be rich. He wants you to be in heaven. Uh, and Joel Austin, uh, I have my doubts sometime on where he's going to wind up with stuff he says. You know, it, it, it's really easy for him to tell Americans that God wants you to have your best life now. Would he have told that to the person tied to the crucifix uh, about to be eaten by the lion in the Colosseum? Yeah, this is your best life now, buddy. Yeah, real encouraging there, Joel. Nonetheless, Paula White, she has decided uh, that if you oppose Donald Trump, you are opposing God. That's right. Jesus is opposed to you if you oppose Donald Trump. Why? Well, because God wills all things. And God raises up rulers and puts them on the throne. And God did this to Donald Trump. And so if if you're opposing Donald Trump, you're, you're opposing God. Which means Paula White is a sinner for having opposed Barack Obama. And, and Donald Trump is a sinner for having opposed Barack Obama. See, it goes both ways, folks. I mean, by her logic, the West should not have taken out Hitler because God put Hitler on, on, on the throne in Germany. These people, it, when, you, when you pick and choose your scripture, you know, I was talking about eisegesis earlier with these reporters. They are taking their own presuppositions and biases into the text of what the president says. Exegesis is where you pull out of the text what it actually says. Eisegesis is where you interpret based on your own biases. And that's what they're doing here, picking and choosing verses. Yes, you know, I said back in November and October and September and August that God's will be done. Whoever is elected president, it is God's will. It is. It is indisputably theologically correct to say that whoever becomes your leader is to serve a purpose, a divinely appointed purpose. What that purpose is, we may not know. And yes, that did include all the bad guys in in history, too. Remember in, in Romans, 
Paul writes that Pharaoh himself was specifically put there in Egypt in charge so that God could work his will. Same thing with President Obama, same thing with President Trump, would have been with President Clinton just as true if she had gotten elected. To say opposing them is opposing God, though, <laughs> that's something altogether completely different. Uh, who's to say that's not what God wants you to do? That's why the, he put the person there. Now, I'm not saying that, don't get me wrong, about President Trump, but, I mean, for her to take that logical leap is nonsensical. And she should know better. And now we're getting angry phone calls from people about the polling. I pointed out that the president's only among 50 percent of Republicans were a presidential primary to be held. And and people think that that's good. And it's not. Barack Obama was at 65 percent in 2004. George W. Bush topped 70 percent. This is the lowest of an incumbent president since George H. W. Bush, who was nearly beaten by Pat Buchanan in what, 1990. It's not a good sign. This should be a warning sign for the White House. And what's so interesting here is why his numbers are so low. Hint, it's not about him. So the issue here is Congress. The president has these low poll numbers among Republicans these days because of Congress. There is no wall because of Congress. There is no Obamacare repeal because of Congress. There is no tax reform because of Congress. And then there's the number five. There are a great many of you listening right now who I'm about to offend. And I know it with what I'm about to say. I don't think we're going to need to turn the phone calls off. You're just going to you're just going to have to deal with it. There are a great many of you who called this program last year and said we have to support Donald Trump because of the judiciary. But for the president, the judiciary will go to the left. Five. Keep that number in mind. Five. That is the total number of Supreme Court, Circuit Court of Appeals, and District Court judges confirmed by the Senate since Donald Trump got elected. Five. There are over 100 vacancies in the federal judiciary more than any president uh, since Bill Clinton. Five judges, four judges and one justice of the Supreme Court have been appointed. And guess what? Anthony Kennedy is telling friends he's not going anywhere. He had intended to leave. Anthony Kennedy was going to retire. In fact, I hear Clarence Thomas is thinking he might want to retire. But they're not going to, because on, on Kennedy's part, he's concerned about the president. See, Gorsuch getting on the court was going to be put there to reassure Anthony Kennedy that it would be safe for him to leave. And now, because of the president's statements, because of the president's behavior, and because of the president's policies, not only is Anthony Kennedy expressing his intention not to leave, but he's moving left. So we essentially have a 5-4 liberal majority now on the Supreme Court because of the president's election. You're not going to like that. You don't like thinking about that. It burns your ears to hear it. But this definitionally is looking more and more like a pyrrhic victory. And that's a problem. I have a confession to make. I, I wish that I had been on first thing this morning 
because I saw that story about the pigs at 7 o'clock this morning and knew it would go viral by the time I got on radio today. Like the the ESPN story, I talked about the ESPN story last night that that, uh, Bob Lee, they moved him to a different game so that he couldn't cover the University of Virginia versus William and Mary football game because he had the same name as Robert E. Lee, even though he's Asian. By the way, Reuters ran a story today uh, that Robert Lee, and then they said, who was named after the Confederate general. He wasn't. They had to correct the story. <laughs> but so the pig story, if you haven't heard the big story, I laughed with my kids the whole way to school this morning about this. A group of firefighters in London saved a litter of piglets from a burning barn outside of London. To thank the firefighters for the rescue and saving his property, the farmer fattened up the piglets and turned them into sausage and gave them to the firefighters. <laughs> Outraged. Animal rights activists were outraged. And when reporters went to the farmer to ask him about it, he said that was their purpose. They were going to be eaten whether they had been in the fire or not. He wasn't going to just raise them. He's a farmer. Farmers don't just let the pigs roam free. They eventually get butchered. <laughs> so he butchered, butchered the five piglets who were saved by the firefighters making them more tasty. Now, I got to I got to admit that I told my kids the story this morning and my 8-year-old, he was absolutely horrified that the um the firefighters would save these piglets only to have them killed so they could be turned into sausage. And when I pointed out to him that uh that's where bacon comes from, his reply was, "That's the point. He should have made them into bacon, not sausage." <laughs> Wow. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yes, uh, people are outraged by this. Now, when we come back, we'll get into some of the other outrages of the day. Uh, ESPN, we're moving on to the NFL. Colin Kaepernick, the NAACP, wants a meeting with the NFL because they believe that Colin Kaepernick is being unfairly targeted. After the hour, I am Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. Believe it or not, the phone number is 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Now, we must move on to Colin Kaepernick, who can't find a job in the NFL. And the NAACP wants a meeting with Roger Godell to demand that Kaepernick be given a job. Now, remember, Godell did everything he possibly could to get Michael Sams a job in the NFL so that they could have at least one gay football player, and Sams was terrible. At least Kaepernick, uh, I, I mean, I'm not a fan, but he is not a bad player just objectively on the stats, unlike Sam, who went off to Canada and, uh, well, he... he I guess, just develop some sort of issues and 
I mean, he wasn't a good player, but they had to have this diversity pick. Well, they don't need Kaepernick to have a diversity moment in the NFL. What he did was hurt the bottom line. The NFL, someone at the NFL leaked the study. I don't think they were going to make it public. It's public now that in their market surveys, it turns out the American public did turn off NFL football games because they were disgusted by multimillionaire NFL players refusing to stand for the national anthem. ESPN ran a similar study and found the same thing, that its viewership ratings were down because of the protests. And, of course, uh, the, the ESPN was making it a huge story that these brave multimillionaires taking a knee during the national anthem. They're so brave. No, they weren't. They're a bunch of rich kids who have never had any real appreciation for the great blessings of this country that they benefit from and they see injustice all around them and cannot appreciate the positives in their lives or the lives of others. And they're making a big stink of it and making it about themselves. And Kaepernick was the ringleader, and now he can't find a job. And the NFL does not have to hire him if the NFL does not want to, because the NFL is a private organization, and the First Amendment rights only apply to the government, not to private businesses. That's why Google could fire James Damore, because they did not like what he said. Whether I thought it was a good idea for them to do it or not, they were perfectly entitled to fire him, and they did. And the same thing going on now in the NFL with Kaepernick. No football team wants him on their team. And the reason they don't is because they are afraid he will affect ticket sales. You know, he is a typhoid Mary for these NFL teams. And they do have no obligation to put him on the team. And the fact that the NAACP thinks it can get involved and get this guy hired says... A whole lot of not good stuff about the NAACP right now. Of course, they're nothing but a Democratic organization these days anyway, like the SPLC. They're just Democratic hacks these days. And Kaepernick's with them, who not only did he leave the country, and what, did he go to Africa to, to work over there for some nonprofit or something and made derogatory remarks about the United States? He didn't have to come back. And when he did come back, he wanted to get on a team. I mean, the whole thing, no, it's a hot mess. He doesn't need to be hired. Uh, nobody wants to watch him on TV. He makes everybody mad. And, you know, you have rights, folks. We all have rights. Kaepernick has a right. Uh, but when you exercise those rights, it doesn't excuse you from consequences. And he's dealing with the consequences. And there are a bunch of liberals who want to get him out of the consequences. Now I'm going to make a lot of you mad again. This is just the day to make my listeners mad, I guess. You know, during the campaign, a lot of people gave reasons to vote for the president. They admitted he wasn't particularly, he wasn't their choice necessarily, but he was better than Hillary Clinton. Everybody needed to support him. And uh, the most loyal of his supporters said, well, he fights. And he's a businessman. And he can make Washington work. He can make Congress work. He can get things through Congress other people can't get through because he's the best negotiator. He hires the best people. He said that himself, that he would get the best deals. He would have, He's the best negotiator. He hired the best people. 75% of the people he brought with him to the White House have now been fired. Pay no attention to that. He hires the best people. And on and on we go. He, he will make Washington work. He will drain the swamp. He will do all of these things. Where's the wall? 
He will get the deals no one else can get. He will cut the negotiations no one else can get. He will be able to do the things no other politician could do because he's not a politician. He's a businessman. Where's Obamacare repeal? He would be able to make Congress work in ways Congress couldn't work. He would be able to demand that Speaker Ryan and Mitch McConnell get things done. He would go out on the campaign trail and and pressure these members of Congress. Why is he supporting Luther Strange? The president, he's going to clean up Washington. The president, he's going to drain the swamp. Where's tax reform? The president is going to do all these things no one else can do because the president is not a career politician. This president is uniquely suited for the office to be able to bring pressure and use the bully pulpit to get things done. Why have there only been five judges confirmed for the Supreme Court, courts of appeals, and district courts combined? I mean, I I hear to, I pointed this out earlier today. There is no wall. There is no tax reform. There is no Obamacare repeal. Only five judges have been confirmed. But he said bad things about CNN, so he's a winner. He's a fighter. And the reply from a lot of Trump supporters was that, well, Congress is to blame. It's not the president. And they're right. Congress is to blame. But the president campaigned on being uniquely suited to make Congress work. He was going to cut the deals no one else could cut. He was going to be the negotiator no one else could be. He was going to drain the swamp in a way no one else could. He was going to make Washington work in the way no one else could. And it's not happening. And now we learn that he and Mitch McConnell have been having routine yelling matches on the phone. That he's cussed out Mitch McConnell and Mitch McConnell has cussed out him. And you know, McConnell is a very skilled SOB at being an SOB. And he is perfectly willing to obstruct the entirety of the conservative agenda and all of the judicial picks if he gets mad at someone. McConnell doesn't care if the courts go left. McConnell doesn't care. It doesn't really impact him. McConnell doesn't even really want to appeal Obamacare because uh, the state of Kentucky already expanded Obamacare and he he doesn't want to get punished by repealing it. He's already deeply unpopular. He's more unpopular in uh, Kentucky right now than the president is. But McConnell's not going to change. The president said he could do these things, and he can't. And the reason he can't is because, believe it or not, there are certain ways things have to get done in Washington. There are multiple branches of government. The Congress is a co-equal branch of government with the president. And when the president goes out and starts beating up members of Congress and attacking Mitch McConnell and the Republicans, they don't want to work with him. Now, I don't like it either. I would love to see McConnell beaten. And I think McConnell is a bigger problem than Paul Ryan. I think Paul Ryan can get stuff passed through the House. McConnell won't even lift a finger to try to get passed in the Senate. But the president being the one to go out and do what he's doing, it's not helping his agenda. It's not helping get judges confirmed. It's not helping it's not helping get tax reform. It's not helping get Obamacare repeal. It's not helping a wall get built. And now with all of the other things he's doing, the the Charlottesville speeches, the walkbacks, the recalibrations and all that, he's further undermining his own position. I mean, this is starting to look like a fearic victory. He he won the presidency and that's it. 
we got one guy on the Supreme Court, but we were all told that that would incentivize Anthony Kennedy to retire. And now people in Washington are being told he's telling his family that wanted him to retire. He's not retiring because he can't. Someone's got to stand up to the president and he's got a life tenure so he doesn't have to worry about it. Uh, wouldn't it be something if we get four years of Donald Trump and he only makes one change to the Supreme Court? Not exactly what people were hoping for. Something's got to give. It's 26 after the hour. Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. Do you guys remember the man? If you're my age in particular, if you watch the uh, wide world of sports on ABC after cartoons on Saturday mornings or whatnot, um, there was a guy, oh, what's his name? Uh, Roland Stewart. He was the original guy. Do you recognize this name, Roland Stewart? Roland Stewart is the original guy from the 1980s who wore the rainbow wig afro and would hold up the John 316 sign at sporting events all across the country. He would go to uh, Major League Baseball games, and he would go to football games, he would go to basketball games, and he always had a prime location. In fact, TV producers would give him tickets and seat him in the proper location. He would hold up his John 316 sign. And he would do all sorts of dances and make a spectacle of himself, which the TV producers liked and, and the directors. Well, it turns out he he became a very paranoid individual, convinced that the end times were upon us. And it became very, very unhinged psychologically. And in 1993, went to prison for three life sentences, having uh, essentially held a maid in a hotel room hostage nailed the door shut, lobbing stink bombs at police officers who were trying to get him. Had a complete mental break. Unre- I always wondered what happened to that guy. Well, now we know. Roland Stewart was his name. Uh, he apparently had a, a family inheritance on which he lived until he became a marijuana farmer, until the government shut that down, and uh, then traveled the country 60,000 miles a year holding up that sign. Goodness gracious. When we come back, we'll get into your phone calls, and we have to move on from, well, all of the hoo-ha about everything else out there and get into more of the news of the day, including, well, more of what's happened in Brussels with the Islamic radicals. Uh, it's not getting a lot of reports. We need to talk about it. Alrighty, to the phones we shall go. Kevin, you're up next. Welcome. Hey, Eric. So, what what I heard in your last segment was pretty much the same thing that you said just before the election on why all these things Trump has not accomplished or will not accomplish in terms of him getting elected. And obviously, he was elected. I think right now, my friend, I think you're underestimating him. He's only been in there eight months, and uh, I have confidence that uh, the things that you mentioned, he's going to get get done especially if he has two terms. If he has two terms, maybe so. Um, but in eight months, uh, he hasn't had any major legislative initiatives passed. And, I mean, Reagan, Bush one, Bush two, Clinton and Obama all were able to get signature initiatives passed in the first year. Uh, he's only gotten five total judges confirmed in the entire federal judiciary with 115 vacant. 
Uh, In fact, he's got a a number of them that haven't even been nominated yet. Uh, We're not going to get Obamacare repeal now. Uh, We may not get tax reform now. Although I will say he may get the wall if he forces the shutdown, and I fully support that effort. Sure. Well, well, one of the things that I that I that I wouldn't do, and I'm not a traditional uh, Trump supporter, if you will, but one of the things that I wouldn't do is compare the terrible le- terrible legislation, i.e., Obamacare. Even though it was passed, it was terrible legislation, and it was a terrible law. So I I wouldn't compare that against what Trump hasn't done at this point. I mean, me personally. I'm in a wait and see type. Of, we got we got a lot more time left. He's only been in there for eight months, and I I, I would I would caution and ask for everybody for for patience. Well, see what I, happens. I I do think that's fair, Kevin, and I appreciate you calling in with that. I, I think it is very fair. We are only are we even eight months in, or are we seven months? Eight months in, yeah, eight months headed into eight months. It feels like a lifetime. I do think, though, that it's also fair to use the benchmarks of other presidencies as a gauge for where we are. And there has been no economic stimulus plan passed. There has been no tax reform plan passed. I mean, all of the things the president said he would do within the first 100 days were then punted to the first 500 days. And I'm starting to worry that we'll even get those passed. But the judiciary is the big hang-up here. Yeah, we've we've only gotten five seats. Now there will be more, but the Democrats are 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 demanding thirty hours time for each nominee. Now that is the Democrats' fault, and the Republicans, some Republicans, would like to change that rule, which is actually a bad idea, I think. But here's the other thing, though, and, and this is where I think that we should be able to find agreement, although I'm sure we won't. The president's fighting with congressional Republicans when they are a co-equal branch of government is something that I love and have long wished that a candidate for president would do. But an actual president probably should not when those people in Congress have the power to block his agenda. Now, you can say that, well, we'll go vote these people out of office. That's, that's all well and good. But let's look at the Jeff Flake-Kelly Ward situation. Kelly Ward... Uh, is she's polling worse against the Democrat now than Jeff Flake. Now, you can say, well, the polls were wrong about Donald Trump, and they weren't nationally. They were actually spot on, and the state-by-state polls were fairly good. But are we willing to risk the Senate with a rebellion in the ranks right now when we got the Supreme Court on the line, potentially, the federal judiciary on the line? That's a problem. And yes, are these Republicans petty? Yes. Are they petulant? Yes. Are they sabotaging the president's agenda? Yes. But he's making it easier for them to do that. And that's the problem. I mean, we should all want the wall. The wall should not be a partisan issue. Unfortunately, it is. But you got Republicans who don't want to fund it just because they want to spite the president. And right now they're winning and he's not. And that's a problem. It is. And they're winning largely because of his self-inflicted wounds, not because of anything extraordinary they've done. Okay, can I jump back to something else completely non-political? Can we be done with politics for the night? Can we go back to, well, uh, Janet, hang on one second. I'll, I'll take your phone call here in a minute. But can I just say again, 
that the ESPN decision to have Robert Lee not cover the University of Virginia game lest they offend someone's sensibilities because of Robert E. Lee is the most insane thing that anyone has done in the last several weeks. And, I mean, it's a very high bar because there have been some very insane things done in the last several weeks. But the ESPN situation, uh, my buddy Dan McLaughlin, who writes for National Review, uh, actually tweeted out earlier, and I think he's right, that this story confirms that everything who said anything bad about ESPN was right, and all the people who denied all the problems at ESPN were wrong. And he's absolutely right. Now, back to the phones. Janet in Buckhead, you're next. Welcome. Hi. There is a saying that it is, get out of your own way. And why can't Donald Trump get out of his own way? Is it his ego? Is he just doesn't have that self-regulation? Or what do you think it is? Yeah, I don't think he, he has the self-regulation. the foot. Yeah, I don't think he has the self-regulation. And, you know, this, honestly, Janet, this is one of my concerns with a great many Trump supporters is I get that they want to give their guy a pass, and I understand the stand-by-your-man attitude, but when they can't acknowledge that he's made life difficult for himself, it just reinforces his behaviors, because he doesn't think he's done anything wrong because no one around him wants to tell him he's screwed up, and so he keeps screwing up. I guess he has sort of has a CEO complex then. I mean, because he could he could be such a great president if he could just get a grip. Listen, if he really had the force of will to single-mindedly focus on these things, I think he could get a lot of them passed, but he doesn't do that. He focuses on anything and everything and gets so easily distracted and no one at the White House seems capable of focusing him and all the people who just assumed John Kelly would magically overnight fix the situation, I think are, well, that's not happening. Okay, well, well, I'd sure like to try my hand at getting them to focus. <laughs> I wish you would, Janet. Thank you very much. Yeah, he, he, he needs to focus and I think as long as people aren't willing to acknowledge on his team that there are things he does that he shouldn't do, he well, no one's going to tell him that. And picking a fight with Mitch McConnell, as much as I relish it because I can't stand Mitch McConnell, probably not wise for a sitting president to do if he wants his agenda passed through the Senate. Tonight, joining Mark Aram, John Eaves, who is the Fulton County Commission chairman. He is running for mayor of Atlanta now. He is going to be on uh, with Mark. Uh, you know, there is Georgia has a law that requires any elected official who wishes to run for another office whose term begins before the current term expires to resign the current term. So, uh, the mayor of Atlanta is on a different election cycle than the chairman of the Fulton County Commission, so the law requires that Johnny resign his position as chairman of the Fulton County Commission to run for mayor of Atlanta. Uh, so he will be joining Mark Aram to discuss that run this evening. Uh, this race, I mean, there are signs. So you know where where WSB is a, where Midtown meets Butthead, and it is right there at the Invesco building in the neighborhood of of super rich hipsters in skinny jeans behind us who still have up their Hillary Clinton, Tim Kaine signs. They've got a, a just a plethora of signs throughout the neighborhood. You got the Mary Norwood signs, the Peter Ammon signs, the the people I've never heard of signs. 
Um, I, I, goodness gracious. And so now there will be one more candidate. This is turning into the 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 equivalent of the Republican campaign for president in 2016. Is there someone in Atlanta that I'm unaware of who isn't running? I, I think everyone in the metro Atlanta area is running for mayor. I may need to check the ballot. I might actually be on the ballot. Uh, yeah, I think Andrew and Charlie are both running. Mark Aram is actually going to announce next week he's running for mayor because he realized he was one of the few people in Atlanta not to be running for mayor. Everybody is running for mayor. The homeless bum down the street who sleeps under I-75, he's running for mayor of Atlanta even. There are that many people running for mayor of Atlanta. Uh, now Johnny Eves will join the crowd, and he's got name ID. The bum down the street sleeping under the bridge, he doesn't. It's all about name ID. Mark Aram will be interviewing him coming up next. And tomorrow, I'm sure we'll have more on what the media is saying about the president.